everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of the podcast from the Melbourne AWS User Group. I am Arjen Swartz and today again I am joined by my good friends Jean-Manuel Becker and Guy Morton to discuss everything that's new in August 2020. Hi guys. Hey everyone. Hello everyone. Happy to be here. Let's just get into the news. There's been a bunch of things. So as usual, let's start with finally in Sydney. If you've listened to previous podcasts, you know that I'm pretty happy with the things that we finally got in Sydney today because it's all about new instance types. What's your what's what's your affection for new instance types? Do you do you do you, are you just interested in them because they're all new and shiny, or is it the technology change that's interesting, or do you just like to have more options with what you build? Personally, it's just new and shiny. Yeah, that's all I care about. No, but. Um, especially with with the Graviton processors that we now have available to us here. The fun bit with that is, in a way, if you look at the broader world, you see a big shift towards ARM processors. Yeah. So it's good to be able to use those because in many cases, cheaper to run and you get a big price performance boost out of them. And for a lot of use cases, that's all that matters here. Yeah, absolutely. So they're kind of green, aren't they? They're the green processor because you're getting more more bang for your your power they're not running as running they're not as expensive to run and so therefore they're cheaper they're cheaper to run in a data center and and we get to pocket the savings thank you very much yes so you didn't mention the announcement uh Arden. It's, it's m6g and c6g and r6g are in sydney finally we we talk about it in a couple of podcasts before uh how the advantage of having graviton processor but now nah, it's pretty cool they are with us and i tested it today look like Exactly the same. <laughs> it's <in> Amazon <laughs> Linux. You can do SSH to it. You can do YUM update. It's, it's just exactly the same machine, but it's on ARM and, and it's supposedly 40% better price performance. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder, like, are there workloads that, that just won't work on this? I mean, I know, you know, obviously, yes, you, you, you can spin up a Linux instance. That's not going to be no problem, but presumably there's going to be the, the odd package somewhere that's not that's not being ported or isn't compatible or whatever. Yeah, there's plenty of things that won't be compatible. Anything that goes deep into processor architecture um, decisions. A good example of, or maybe not an example, but a good way to figure out how hard this is, is if you look at like Apple's transition to use ARM processors for their desktop and lab and how much work that is for everybody. Yeah. And then extend that to not just things that Apple uh, allows to run on their systems, but anything Linux or and especially Windows based. Mm. Yeah, no, it's pretty it's a pretty um it's a pretty interesting, I guess, expansion of the, of ARM into the into the cloud world. I, I guess Intel probably isn't too happy about about it, but you know, I guess every every empire must crumble at some point. I don't think they're likely to crumble anytime real soon now, I don't suppose. But yeah, it, it, it must be a little bit annoying for them to see all those potential sales go a different way. I, don't, I think the benefit going to be on EKS as well and ECS, right? If you can use um, that for your Docker containers, Docker files stay the same. It's probably a couple of dependencies you need to resolve. But, um, you know, this, this uh, C6, for example, can be... 248, 1632, 48, or 64 core. So that, that's pretty nice machine. And the memory is faster as well. So yeah, very interesting. And there'll be some RDS instances with these chips in at some point too, I guess now that we've got them in, in Sydney. Yeah, they are in preview, yes, yes. Yeah. So for the operating system, you can still run, so Amazon Linux, obviously, 2, 
Ubuntu, Red Hat, Suze Linux, uh, Fedora, CentOS, Debian, and FreeBSD. So it's it's a lot of operating system you can you can play with. That's good. Um, the other new instance type is the Inf1 instances or the Inferentia instances, which are the machine learning optimized ones. Yeah. So if 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 I, I know nothing about machine learning, so it's no good me saying anything. Who 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 does? <laughs> you you do you do, Arjen. <laughs> Tell us about what um what in inference inference stuff is i'm no expert either but the inference part is mostly used when you train your models so and this uh, the inferential chips i don't have the exact specs here right now but from memory they were faster than just using dedicated gpus yes that's correct so so i usually you do you use GPU the GPU four well the the inf one instance are kind of thirty percent higher throughput and forty five percent lower cost per per inference so you can save a lot of money instead of using the NVDI family and um, uh, the best way of using infra uh, instance is using SageMaker you can just from SageMaker call an inf one instance and and uh, uh, enjoy the the faster processing for your um, machine learning and in Sydney now yay yeah awesome so the other thing not specifically for Sydney but more for all of Australia is we got three new AWS heroes in Australia yes these are Ian Mackay who is a community hero and is best known for well to be honest trying to break all of AWS <laughs> and and he's built tools like Format 2 and the console recorder um, which allows you to track what you do in the console and basically turn that into CloudFormation or Terraform templates. Um, he's built a whole bunch of tools like that, which is cool. Mm, yeah, sure are. Uh, the second one was Peter Hansens, who is a serverless hero. He actually presented at our meetup on Wednesday. So that was awesome to see him as well. Um, he's he does a lot in the community and has run a whole bunch of different conferences. And the last one is Mike Chambers, who is a machine learning hero. I unfortunately haven't had a chance to meet him yet. So he's he's probably happy about the, those inf1 instances. He probably is. So, yeah, congratulations to all three of them. Last month, there wasn't a lot for serverless. This time, though, we have a lot of serverless announcements. Um, well, the one that you just added today was kind of looked like it would be quite quite useful. The IAM condition keys for VPC settings. So, if, so I looked at it briefly, but what it looked like to me is you can. There's some new conditions that you can apply in a policy to prevent people from creating lambdas that aren't attached to a VPC. Yeah, that, that's exactly that. Very simple. Uh, you, you have an IMO. Uh, you can give the Lambda star to someone to create Lambda function, but if you want to force them to create them in VPCs, then you can add one of these three conditions, the VPC ID, the subnet ID, and the security group ID, uh, where you want the, the, the Lambda to be created. So if they try to create a Lambda outside or public Lambda, then uh, the, the creation will fail. So very, very simple. And it also works with updates, yeah. Yes, yes. So very simple, just another IM role, but I think very important for compliance and security when uh, you want to run uh, your Lambda inside your VPC. I'm sure, Arjun, you want to talk about Go? 
and Amazon Linux too? Yeah, so it's quite interesting in a way. So now all languages are available on Amazon Linux too, even though obviously we shouldn't care about what anything runs on. But in the end, as many people so often like to point out, it's still servers underneath. And with Amazon Linux 1 being deprecated and completely being gone basically by the end of the year, that means that Lambda had to be updated as well. So many of the newer runtimes already ran on Amazon Linux 2. And now that has been extended to basically have all of them. And that starts with, well, the sum of these are a support for Golang. And yes, Jam, that is my preferred language. <laughs> yes. So it's good to see that. It's a bit different than it used to be. Um, it used to be that for Go, you had to go 1.x uh, runtime and now you can just use the base uh, the standard uh, Amazon Linux 2 runtime which has its own name which is provided.al2 which is the same you use for the custom runtimes to build on top of so in a way it, I suppose that means they switched it to a custom runtime instead of hmm. the one it used the, the dedicated one it used to be but either way it just now runs on the base image which isn't really surprised as you just uploaded binaries in the end yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. I haven't had a chance really to update any of applications would actually have any impact. I mean, if it's just something small, you don't see a difference. But it's good to see that in general, everything is now available on Amazon Linux too. That's cool. Uh, the other thing I saw in the serverless part was the uh, Lambda support for MSK now. So Apache Kafka uh, managed streaming from AWS. Um, so you can feed uh, your Lambda function with um, the, the topics of Kafka and the way it does it basically is um, you subscribe to the topic and it batch the responses, the record into batch and when you reach 6 meg, uh, the Lambda fun function get triggered and uh, execute whatever manipulation you want to do on the on the messages and i checked it it's pretty simple uh, you look at your lambda you have uh, a new trigger msk you pick your cluster you pick your topic and uh, that's very straightforward so yeah good good addition um a lot of customer look at kafka especially in the financial industry message based kind of uh, updates to feed in, in different environment feed database uh, that records across uh, different systems and uh, having lambda to be able to do that straight from kafka that's pretty cool yeah, cool. So understand it basically works the same way as it would with Kinesis? Oh, exactly the same. Basically, I mean, you know, the, the, the trigger you got on your Lambda on your left, uh, uh, you, now you have MSK in there and you pick you pick your cluster. You need to be in the same account, though, to be able to access it, obviously. But um, apart from that, that's, that's all. But pretty simple. The same account, the same region, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. API Gateway also had a bunch of updates, uh, specifically HTTP APIs. In a way, it's a bit of catching up with the REST APIs. It now supports wildcard custom domain names and um, integration with five new services. Yeah, so you need to you know, to support wildcard, you need to provide an ACM uh, with a wildcard certificate as well with your DNS. And what I found out is um, if you have an account A with um, A uh, AWS user group and uh, you want to do a wildcard in account B with AWS user group, you can't because you need to destroy first because they are conflicting uh, uh, naming there. So if they are in the same account, that's okay, but they cannot be in different accounts. So a bit of limitation there if you have you know, a different pipeline for different uh, API with different name. So something to watch out. And the integrations basically means that you can have other things than Lambda at the backend. 
the new ones that it support are AppConfig, EventBridge, Kinesis Data Streams, SQS, and Step Functions, which sounds useful. Yeah, in the announcement as well, AWS said that they want to bring to parity of functionality between the REST API and the HTTP API, so that that's going to, you know, they're going to release new new functionality in there. They added as well on the API getaway some new logs, and that on the two API, uh, the, the API getaway for HTTP and the rest and the WebSocket, so you can have enable uh, more advanced logging, and that includes, um, you know, uh, latency, status code, call phases, so you have a bit more information uh, on, on your API behavior and your traffic, and it's available in all regions. Cool. Step functions? Yeah. You've played around with the event a bit, haven't you? No, I have. Well, I've played around with step functions a little bit. I haven't haven't played around with these new new language enhancements at all. But um, yeah, so they've just added some enhancements to the choice state and task states, so you can do some sort of more um, granular comparisons and tests. So what is it? You can test for null values, you test for existence of a variable, uh, while carding and variable to variable comparison. So it's just more, I guess, power inside those tasks and choice nodes to be able to make more complex decisions, I guess, more logic, more complex logic decisions inside those flows. So instead of having to, I guess, call out to a Lambda function to, you know, to, to, to make some sort of more complex choice, you can potentially do it all in the in the choice or task state because of that more sophisticated um, capability. Yeah, at the same time, AWS Step Function adds support for SageMaker processing this month, um, and that's really help orchestrating end-to-end machine learning workflow. Uh, we call it MLOps, right? To try to really do uh, the data pre-processing, the post-processing, the feature engineering, and then data validation. And then at the end, you end up with Instage Maker to be able to process and, and, and um, uh, step function help you to orchestrate all of that. So that's, that, that's cool. I like it. Yeah, we will see more of that, I think, with step function. That's really becoming a very popular product at the moment with all the new release for the last three months. Do you want to move to containers? Uh, a lot of news on containers this month. Yes, definitely a lot of good news on containers. Let's just start with some Fargate things. Big news for people who use Fargate on EKS. First of all, you can save money. Yay. Because it's now included in the compute savings plan. Yeah, that's good. That's definitely good. And it was, in a way, a strange omission that if you ran Fargate on ECS, it was in the plan. If you ran it on EKS, it wasn't. That's an AWS penalty on EKS. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good because you can now with the saving plan because it's, it's across everything now. You have EC2, you have Lambda, you have ECS, you have EKS, you have with Fargate. You can really choose whatever and you can migrate one app to the other and you keep saving money. Uh, on, on your compute, that, that's a, that's a very good um, uh, step for for AWS to have that, and you can have up to fifty two percent saving on your compute. So please have a look at the saving plan, do some some calculation and and apply them to the account. That's pretty important. Don't pay full price. So the other target on EKS. Uh, announcement is that it now supports EFS file systems. So just again, like with Fargate on ECS, you can mount an EFS disk drive. How do you... Storage, yeah. So it's, it's encrypted at rest and in transit with NFS4, so it's, it's permanent storage. And uh, yeah, you need EKS uh, 117 uh, to be able to use that. And 
you know, WordPress, Drupal, Jira, Jenkins, all of that need permanent storage. So it makes sense to mount that uh, on, on EKS the same way you can do it on ECS now, really coming to parities uh, or functionalities. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people be excited about EFS coming to EKS as they were when it came to ECS. Yeah. I mean, when you start using, uh, you know, plugins to try to mount drives and all of that, it's a nightmare, right? And then when you start moving AZs, well, EFS is multi-AZ product, so that makes absolutely sense to have some permanent storage on that. I wouldn't run a database, though, still, <laughs> on EKS no. or on, on EFS, but um, at least you have some permanent storage for, for something like images and, and common, common stuff, yeah. It's not the answer for everything, and yeah can be misused it's like efs on lambda right it's just not not, all, not not by definition a good idea so just you know i guess yeah but when you need it or when it makes sense it's there at least and i mean it comes on the back of all the other efs enhancements that have happened over the last few months too yeah it's great yeah yeah um with the increased throughput and the you know better um baseline performance and all those sorts of things that 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 have, that have come through it's really they've obviously invested quite a lot in in all that underlying tech and um we're now seeing you know everyone all the developers can get the benefits hmm. well developers and everyone else there was an update on the load balancer udp for ecs as well uh so for people who run dns on containers or the thing like that um you can now load balance uh udp traffic into ecs into fargate on ecs into fargate on ecs yeah sorry you was possible on ecs before now is ecs with fargate and that's available in in us east us west europe and tokyo not not in sydney yet and you need uh, ecs 1.4 for that and the same is done for eks as well yes and for eks you need uh kubernetes 115 which is not the latest one but two before and uh, you need uh ec2 instance based worker node yep but the pods running on e on Fargate are not supported. So EKS is supported, but not Fargate. <laughs> so it's interesting that there's still a little gap there. So you can't use Fargate and then send some with EKS and send some UDP traffic from the, your network load balancer yet. I'm sure that's going to come. Yeah, as we see, they're trying to make it more equal. So yeah, for, and to mention is for new clusters only. Uh, at the moment, so be careful. Um, you might need to migrate if you want to use that feature straight away. And AWS is saying that in a couple of weeks they will uh, bring that feature to existing clusters. So not not yet, only for new one at the moment. Yeah. But speaking of EKS, that it also had a couple of good quality of life announcements. First. As we mentioned earlier, it now supports ARM-based instances, so you can use all these fancy new Graviton processors in your EKS clusters, which is super exciting. Yeah, and you need Kubernetes one fifteen as well. Yeah, yeah. But the bigger one, in my opinion, is probably even um, that managed node groups now support launch templates and custom AMIs, which makes well the managed node groups a lot more useful yeah. for a lot of people. I had many customers who had to stay with a self-managed nodes because they couldn't tag, they couldn't encrypt, they couldn't uh, install certificate or, or all the user data stuff you do usually. So now with the managed node group supporting launch template, you can really uh, be very granular on, on your instances and you know tag them 
and store stuff with um, uh, user data. And if you still can't use the managed nodes, then you can even provide your own AMI and AWS will do that. So you get the best of both where you have your, your personalized node and then you have EKS who does the provisioning, the draining and the upgrading of the nodes when it's needed. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely a good improvement. One that I'm personally less enthused about, uh, but that might just be me, is the AWS controllers for Kubernetes preview. Why not? Why, why you don't like it? You can do S3, SNS, SQS, Dynamo, ECR, API Gateway. I'm just not a big fan of controlling your infrastructure from within your Kubernetes cluster. Yeah. I'm sure there are use cases for it, but... It sounds like it's also one of those things that can easily be abused, especially if you use like blue greens for your clusters for when you do upgrades. What will happen to it? Yeah. Will your infrastructure suddenly not be managed anymore, or is it? Does it mean it will get destroyed when you get rid of the cluster? I'm sure there are answers to these questions, and if I look deeper into it and would try it out, I might suddenly find that my concerns are completely useless. It's just looking at it without that I'm a bit worried about things like that. I, I, I agree with you when you explain it this way, that that makes sense. But I found that the, the Kubernetes community I really love to be able to provide everything from Kubernetes and create load balancer from that, create attachment, create ingress traffic, create logs, nodes, everything from Kubernetes. Um, for the purists, I prefer ECS myself um, because I think it's a better product. <laughs> but um, and but while I was talking to a, an engineer the other day, he was saying, "Oh, I'll, I'll try ECS," and I had to do everything. I had to create a load balancer. I had to do all of that. Yes, well, it's it's an infrastructure, right? Do you create and then they all interact together. Where in Kubernetes, you create Kubernetes and you need to maintain Kubernetes. So it, it's a different different way of doing things. But I, I guess that's moving the controller moving towards the what Kubernetes native is doing. Good or bad? Yeah. I mean, maybe we're going to have. Like cloud formation running in Kubernetes now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, to, to, to some extent, isn't that, isn't that capability a bit like the sort of SAM philosophy where you, you, you kind of, you're bundling everything to do with your microservice into one package. Like it's not just the Lambda functions, it's the DynamoDB tables and it's the buckets all are all created in the context of that one microservice and all kind of version the into that is the idea that if you're using EKS for microservices you want to be able to access it or build things the same way so that they're kind of ephemeral or they're all bound together into the one deployment if you know what I mean or the one sort of application package uh maybe and looking at it that way sounds reasonable there was a talk on on the latest aws uh, sydney um on demand and there was a gitops uh, eks and gitops and that that's the philosophy you, you describe guy to be able to create everything from the same repo from your cluster to all the environment attached to it yeah maybe there's some some benefit there but you know it's still building a cloud into another cloud so it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> yeah yeah, look, I think it's 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 um it's probably just one of those things, but it's like EFS on Lambda, right? It's it, there's a discipline that you kind of need to have have applied to how you work as well. That if it makes sense to to package all those services into the, the one microservice, because you know 
you want them to actually you want that table to be created and then you want it to be destroyed when you when you pull that thing down you know it's probably horses for courses if it's used the right way used with the right kind of design thinking then it's probably a good thing if it's if it's used to create a database that's supposed to be permanent <laughs> then obviously yeah. you're, you're back in the the, the the land that you're talking about are you know if it's like yeah but maybe something gets created and now i don't know whether it's supposed to be being created or if it's supposed to be ephemeral or not so yeah maybe it's just a as things become more complex we need more more discipline around how we how we do things i guess with great power comes great great responsibility <laughs> yep that's true um, another one that is close to my heart is the metadata service version 2, which is now compatible with EKS. I, I did a talk last year about that. Um, SSRF attacks are really omnipresent across the internet. So if you're running anything which is public facing, you can suffer a metadata service attack with through SSRF and steal your keys and create all sorts of havoc on your account. So AWS released a version 2 of that meta service who, uh, instead of requesting the 169 254 169254 metadata uh, just with a HTTP call you need to do a first a pull request have a token and then inject that token every time you ask that service uh, to interrogate the metadata service uh, that was not compatible with EKS up to now because of the two step of two hops you have to do it now by default uh, the uh, Kubernetes service uh, provide two hops so you can enable metadata service number two on your EKS cluster uh, to protect your keys and disable uh, metadata service number one uh, at the EC2 level or at the uh, account level or through an SCP as well through your account. So I'm very pushing for that because there is still too many applications who are vulnerable for that and that's very dangerous when you're in the cloud space. Yeah, to clarify, the metadata service 2 is always available, but you can enforce that it's the only option. Usually it just runs when certain headers are included, it will do that. Um, actually, with a client recently, the week before this was announced, we ran into an issue where the SDK or library injected that header and they started failing on retrieving refresh tokens for the IAM role. And that turned out to be an issue with the number of hops. So this would have actually fixed that if it had happened, if it had been released a little bit earlier. Yeah. But you can tune the number of hops by default. Um, I think it's, it's one, and then now EKS is two. You can as well, uh, to be able to do some troubleshooting before you migrate, is to look at your CloudWatch. Uh, there is a, a marker now and, and, and the log, sorry, a metric who tell you how many times you have been using the version one or the version two, uh, in the life of that instance. So you can see exactly where, uh, you need to resolve that. But, um, yeah, if you don't want to suffer SSRI attacks like a very big financial company in the US last year, uh, move to number two. So let's. Have a look at EC2 and VPC then. A new instance again for you, Arjun, today. <laughs> a new instance like the C5AD. <laughs> There's C5A, which is uh, with the um, AMD EPIC processor, and uh, they added some uh, NVMe um, uh, disk on that. So, you know, yep. you can up to 96 vCPU, 192 gig memory, and 3.8 terabyte of NVMe. So, um, and they are in Sydney now. So it's pretty cool. You know, big instance running uh, IMD processors with uh, NVMe this if you need that for your cache. Yep, there's little I can add to that. As I said earlier, it's fun when the new instances are there. <laughs> <laughs> but one that you probably like as well is the uh, prefix lists now working with Transit Gateway. Oh yeah, that's cool, yes. Um, so 
last month, I think, or the month before uh, LWS released a VPC prefix list, which is, um, you know, grouping your CRDR uh, IP range and blocks uh, into a single object to be able to uh, use a security group easier. You can share them with RAM in multiple accounts. And now that single object, you can reference it inside your transit gateway route. So that will simplify quite a lot of the routes you can declare in transit gateways. So you can have, for example, all your on-prem range. It can be, you know, 192, 172, all sorts of different IP range you have on-prem. You can uh, convert them into one prefix list and have that into a single route. And um, that can be shared between accounts and shared uh, for security group knuckles and uh, other places so i think it's good a lot of update this month as well on the vpn i feel like they they suddenly AWS decided to update all the vpn tools uh in one go so you can do ipv6 now uh to transit getaway um i don't think you can uh you can't do an ipv6 yet to the normal vgw but you can do that to the transit getaway uh, if you have ipv6 on-prem and um in your vpc Still, I don't see a lot of customers using IPv6 in-house. So. And then a couple of improvements on encryption, integrity, key exchange algorithm, and stuff like that for side-to-side uh, -side VPN as well. So new encryption, Android 28, GCM 16, IES 256, GCM 16 as well. And then a couple of um, uh, integrity check with SHA-2. So yeah, um, few. Really need that advanced security for compliance reason. That that makes sense to to upgrade your VPN. Oh, what, one. Uh, sorry, I, I keep talking. But uh, one, I think, who has been a pain for me for a couple of customers is it was the the key exchange initiation. I don't know if you had that problem where. AWS didn't initiate it. So if your tunnel was going down, that was your problem to bring it back up. Uh, now AWS just changed that and AWS can initiate the key uh, exchange. So your VPN can come back up if it goes down, initiated by the AWS side instead of being only from the your customer side. So I think that's a good improvement. Yeah. And look, we all know this is your favorite part sometimes. Um, but hey, look, there's more for the instance metadata service. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, so that, that's more to kind of find your instance to, to see where, where it is. So they added uh, five new fields, uh, which is a region field. So you, you can ask your instance in which region are you, please. And that's interesting. Uh, but more the plus one group name, uh, partition number and host ID. And as well, your real availability zone ID. Um, I think that's important when you really want to balance your workload across physical availability zone and not just relying on, on the name of the availability zone AWS provide you. Remind you that the zone ID is a real zone where the availability zone will appear in your console is a, it's a random ABC letters uh, given by AWS. Do you want to move to DevOps? Our favorite code guru is back. Mm -hmm. This time, a full repository analysis for the code guru reviewer. Basically, what this is, is where originally code guru just runs on pull requests to tell you, hey, you can improve this. Now they've realized that people probably work with existing repositories instead of building mm -hmm. a new one just to use with CodeGuru. <laughs> so you can now analyze your whole repository. Obviously, there's costs involved, but it, it might help you with your code. So go for it. You can still uh, specify a specific uh, branch so, uh, and, and um, of, of the repository, right? And, and uh, you can say, okay, I want to scan it now, and I want to scan all the new merge requests, but then I want to scan once a month as well the full repo again. So you can, you can have kind of this kind of uh, choice of how you do your scanning as well. 
Talking of build tools, the EC2 Image Builder components can now be developed locally. So Image Builder is um, still AWS's answer to building your AMIs. I have mixed feelings about it still, but the ability to build your components locally is definitely a good one. Uh, so you can just test them properly before you upload them and deal with all the annoying versioning that components have. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe more on the upside. One change that I found good is with System Manager Explorer. So if you remember a couple months ago, System Manager Explorer came out as a way to have a multi-account overview of some of your trusted advisor scans. And now it they've expanded it to include an overview of the well, multi-account summary of your AWS support cases. So you can see support cases that are in all the different accounts, which is definitely a good thing. I suspect if you have many accounts with developers who can raise their own support cases, but you still want to keep an eye out on, hey, what's happening? Are we not asking the same question over and over again? Yes. Yeah, and you need you need business support or enterprise support plan to be able to benefit and that that um, that functionality and it's good because you can filter the data, you can export the result to a CSV for example if you want to review them, or you can talk to your uh, account manager at AWS and show all the cases you have. So that I think that that's very good for a large enterprise who, who want to follow um, where the support cases are. That was missing, I think. Yeah. So you are, there is an update with code deploy. Uh, you can now support VPC endpoint. Uh, as usual, VPC endpoint, you, you have that in your VPC, but that allows you to deploy now using code deploy into application or internal only without any internet getaway. That, that, that's, that's a good improvement on, on the product that was missing, I think, as well, to be able to use code deploy uh, for internal app. And talking about uh, internal only, Cloud9, sorry, uh, now released with Ahens VPC support. And that means that you don't need a public IP on your uh, Cloud9 instance anymore uh, to be able to do SSH to it. Um, basically leverage uh, what system manager, uh, connection manager is um, to be able to access your instance. So when you create your Cloud9 instance, you can say, I want no ingress um, traffic. And then um, it will create that inside your VPC in the, in the private zone. And then you will use SSM um, connection manager to be able to connect to your Cloud9 instance. So much more secure than it used to be. Talking of secure things, shall we then have a look at security improvements? Yeah, why, why shouldn't we? An interesting one here is that Amazon Guard Duty has basically taken over some of the Macy functionality or has part of Macy built in now. Inherited it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like they've taken out probably one of the things that people would have really liked to have had but weren't prepared to pay the Macy price tag. I mean, obviously, Macy did get a price reduction I think earlier this year, but they've obviously looked at this particular part of the part of the, the the suite i guess and thought actually that really fits logically inside a guard duty kind of world yeah and it's sort of more affordable and it gives you continuous monitoring and profiling of s3 data access events and s3 configuration changes to detect suspicious activity so requests coming from an unusual geolocation disabling of preventative controls such as block public access or api call patterns consistent with an attempt to discover micro misconfigured bucket permissions yeah so if you come from a tor exit node or something like that you want you will get an alert saying that your s3 bucket is getting uh, access from an unusual spot but that's 
Still, just the access, right? Macy is still going to continue to be the content analysis, the yeah. the exfiltration of PC, PI information, and stuff like that. Where this one is is really focusing on on the type of access and um, who enumerate your your S3 bucket from which IP and any kind of um, you know unusual activities, but not the content of the bucket itself. So yeah, uh, that's a very good addition. And and by the way, uh, is by default now if you enable guard duty. Uh, but if you had guard duty before, you need to go and choose and enable it. Uh, and uh, it will give you a pre-value of the increased cost of your guard duty monthly cost, uh, according to the bucket you have. Right. Yeah. Cool. Another massive upgrade uh, uh, update, I'm sure, this month, and, and Arjen, you, you sure you have seen that with customers as well, is certificate manager private certificate authority now uh, can be shared across multiple accounts that's absolutely a massive massive improvement on the product right yeah it was not usable before i'll remind everyone it's 400 dollars a month to have a private ca on aws so it's not a cheap cost uh, and before you had to have one per account or exporting the certificate from one into a file and re-importing them into another file it was a nightmare now it's so easy uh, and I really recommend to look at that product again because um, I advise my customer not to use that. So you can um, share with a resource access manager across multiple accounts and then magically the private CA appear in the other account and it can be consumed through API and uh, you use SEM to store your certificate. So really, really good. Yeah, so much better. You can just have it now managed from your security account, for example, and everybody can use it. Yeah, you can share at your org level, at your OU level, or just a single account. And interestingly, inside or outside your org as well. Usually, AWS like to share this kind of stuff only inside your org, but this time you can share outside your org. So if you wanted to give uh, an access to a, a service provider or something to use one of your cert, you could you could definitely uh, share that and they could consume your, your certificate. That's good. Another service I know you're fond of is the Firewall Manager. Oh, yeah, little upgrade this month with Firewall Manager. Uh, it can support now application load balancer and classic load balancer for monitoring uh, and remediating the security group who are too much open to the world. So if you do a zero zero on all ports, your Firewall Manager will have a look at it and then uh, probably disable that firewall or you can pre-create um, security group for account and populate them across your, your different environment. Let's look at storage and databases then, which has possibly the biggest announcement for the month with the new EBS volume type. Yeah, that's, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, so we've now got IO2 volumes, which as the name implies, is the successor to IO1. And its main features are higher durability, more IOPS per gigabyte. I know you love that word, Guy. I do, yeah. And all of that for the same price as IO1 volumes. Yes, yes. So yeah, it's 99.999 durability. It's making them 2,000 times more available than the, just a common disk drive. So that's very impressive. Uh, and with 500 IOPS for per gigabyte instead of um, the, the 50 initially. So really focusing on big database there, Sapana, Microsoft SQL servers, IBM DB2, and all this type of database. Uh, and it is in Sydney, straight away. That was, I was impressed with that, that, you know, that the product was released and it was everywhere. It's like um, AWS 
bought a new fan device and then stick it to every data center and <laughs> make it available for everyone. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. And it's such a massive improvement as well. Yeah. It's, so yeah, in, I think you can just easily change the type of your existing IO1 instances to IO2. So there really isn't much of a downside to it. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, it's very easy. You can modify your volumes at, you know, AWS EC2 modify volume and you, you convert one to the other. Um, and to the new version and, and you get the benefit out of it. Um, the only feature which is not available yet on IO2, which is available in IO1 is the multi-attach device for, uh, for clusters or stuff like that, but it's on the roadmap apparently. So it's going to come very soon. Well, let's not say very soon. We know it's an AWS roadmap. I'm too optimistic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the use case is very minimal, right? Who wants to run multi-attach rack? device or, or clusters uh, on AWS when you can use RDS instead. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's great news. And anybody who runs IO1 inst- uh, has IO1 volumes, I'd say, unless you use multi-attach, upgrade them and yeah. enjoy the benefits. It's still capped to 64,000 IOPS, right? Um, there's, no, there's no more IOPS in total on the disk you can add, but um, the the... Number of IOPS for gigabyte for smaller disks is, is good. Another announcement that we've already alluded to earlier is the preview for RDS using M6G and R6G instance types. Yes, this one not in Sydney yet. It's still um, in preview only in uh, US, Virginia, Ohio, Oregon, uh, Frankfurt, Ireland, and Tokyo. Not in Sydney yet. And it's only for MySQL, Postgres, and uh, the support for Aurora and MariaDB will come soon again. What does that mean soon? With AWS, we don't know, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's same benefit, better processor, faster, faster processing for a smaller cost. Yeah, so obviously having those instances now in Sydney means we should get those soon, I guess. Yeah, yeah. One, one day, Lego GA, yeah. I'll be honest, though. When it comes to databases, I'm not all that fussed about previews not being immediately available here because it's not something you want to run on your production workloads anyway. Uh, a, a preview, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Glue. Uh, Glue version 2. Uh, it's 10 times faster. I think it's massive. Um, and now build per minute. It used to be build per 10 minute block, which was really expensive uh, when you were running very small um, jobs and ETL uh, Spark jobs. So uh, now it's, it's build per minute and then uh, it starts 10 times faster. So I think we'll see more of the usage of Glue for this instead of trying to run your EMR cluster 24-7 because that was one of the problems my customer were looking at. Okay, shall I run Glue? But it's going to cost me more because I need to run the batch with five minutes and I get charged 10 minutes every time that running my EMR cluster 24-7. And uh, so I'll be to recalculate that now um, design and then um, it is in Sydney as well so we have the benefit of that cool. SQL server 2019 hoo hoo we can use uh, CU5 I don't know that's, that's, who cares right <laughs> you're trying to get us excited about that it's not working no <laughs> who cares but one was impressed with Elastic Cache for Redis now support up to 500 nodes per cluster yeah who run this? <laughs> 500 nodes for Redis. I mean, I understand for sharding reasons and, and, you know, you can run maybe 26 
of them, like uh, one per, per letters of the alphabet for your customers or something. Uh, but far one would very impressive if um, people are running that on AWS. And for that, you need uh, Redis 506 to be able to run it in a cluster mode. Cool. The other, in a way, fun one is the database migration service now supporting MongoDB 4 as a source. This is, in my opinion, very clearly aimed at making people use DocumentDB, which is only Mon which is MongoDB 3.4 or something compatible. So yeah, this is a way for people who are on newer Mongo versions to pull them into the AWS managed space after all. Uh, the other one for FSX, FSX for Lust. Um, they, they used to be on the SSD uh, version. Now they have a hard drive version uh, to save a bit of money when you don't need the, the same uh, latency of SSDs. And um, yeah, to compare the price, when you look at it, it's 2.7 cents sorry, per gigabyte in Sydney uh, with hard drive to compare the 17 cents uh, with SSDs. Um, so there's a big gap there. You can save some money. Um, and uh, you can still, with Arrive, having a SSD cache version uh, who will cache um, a lot of your uh, imminent data or the one you've just been reading and, and writing. And uh, that, that, that had a little cost, up to $0.05 cents, uh, per, per gigabit, uh, but still much cheaper than the $0.17. Cents. We had a couple of AI and ML announcements, but not a lot of major things this month. A new learning cap capsule for Deep Composer. I'm sure Guy will be all over that after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A learning capsule. Yeah, okay. That just that, that that conjures up an image of like something that we put something inside and bury it in the ground. Is it? Is it? Are we? Is, it, is this something you put Deep Composer in and bury it in the backyard? Maybe. Maybe not quite. But yeah forecast adding holiday calendars for many countries that is obviously useful it's probably more useful when we go back to more normal lifestyles yes yes and this country includes new zealand and australia which is good so now hopefully i wonder if there are melbourne cup days and stuff and i like in melbourne only or if it is all the public holiday for australia in general with the queen's birthday date well different for each state and all of that that's going to be fun i'm, I'm kind of surprised this this was this is this wasn't there on day one but yes like, <laughs> database of holiday calendars for 66 countries surely that's that's this that that's not new, new, new information. No, it's also it's not very hard to source either. No, yeah. Anyway, that might be a candidate for the. Didn't it always do that? Yeah, it should have done that from day one, I guess. But uh, because you know, forecast was really US centric at the beginning, used by AWS and Amazon itself. That makes sense that they had this functionality now. But yeah, so the. Other announcement there is, in my opinion, a candidate for either best or worst headline in an announcement. <laughs> Scariest feature name. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. AI launches delete human <laughs> task UI capability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we knew we, we, we knew they were after us. We, we knew it was only a matter of time before they figured us out. Uh, they figured out a way to delete us. And uh, yeah, but in, in reality, what it is... Right, as a there's a part of the augmented AI product, you could render a task for a human to do, um, but you couldn't, as I understand it, you couldn't previously delete that, but now you can. Yeah, so it's it's a very very minor 
announcement yes. that just... it's, a, it's 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 a nano yeah it's a nano candidate yeah hey hey everyone you know that thing where you could create before now you can delete it as well <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, it's up there with connect um there's i think we're going to get to it in the other cool stuff ads cut copy and paste <laughs> connect ads cut copy and paste to the contact flow design it's like again wouldn't it have always done that no no it didn't yeah. anyway let's not skip ahead and spoil all the fun well how about we just move immediately to the other cool stuff yeah so it, it's interesting you know usually i guess these services get get a rash of announcements in one month like so this has got four while we're on the subject of connect there's four announcements for connect and i i haven't actually looked at any of these but i just know that there's four of them and one of them's cut copy and paste um has have either of you guys looked at these announcements in any details do you know you know what the what they do i mean they all seem quite minor but probably useful i mean obviously connect's getting a lot of attention right because people are moving their call centers to the cloud because they don't have call centers full of people um so i guess they're just this is just kind of it seems to me like these are announcements are all just filling out the product like rounding it out taking it from mvp to actually customers need these features to actually make it useful yeah so the um, while making fun of the cut copy paste for the contact flow designer, it is actually quite useful as apparently before you couldn't copy things. Yeah, because you inevitably, in a, in a, when you're designing flows, you end up with three or four nodes that you just want to put on every single flow. And you want to be able to copy and paste those suckers over and over again. Yep. Yeah, it would have been really annoying to have to draw them out and f- configure them all individually. Yeah. Especially as there's still no API available to do it in code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which would be more preferable. And then you get, get cut, copy and paste out of the box in your editor. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's a, it's kind of strange in a way. I, I guess this happens in AWS. There's probably you know different teams working on things differently, so they're sort of doing it concurrently. But you sort of think something like the the state language for step functions would have been a logical way of even extending that to describe uh, to be used to create contact flows for connect um a lot of the stuff is similar right it's decision nodes and branching you know if this is that then go over there if it's not go over there um it would have made perfect sense really to extend that wouldn't it anyway yeah hey hey jeff if you need me here i am I'll help you fix your products, mate. No, no worries. Do you want to talk about quantum computing? Yep, because quantum computing is cool, even though I have very little understanding of it. <laughs> well, that's what makes it cool. That you don't, you don't understand it, right? It's available through Amazon Bracket, uh, which is uh, the name for that. It's just kind of a simulator, and it's available in U.S. East, uh, U.S. West, and um, California region, which is interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I said that the other day, too. I thought it was a simulator, but it's actually both. So you can simulate. So it's got, like, a simulated environment, but it's also got actual quantum computing hardware that you can run stuff on, too. So you, you can do your testing on simulated quantum computers and then run your quantum algorithms on actual quantum computing hardware so what have they got um quantum annealing hardware from d-wave two types of gate-based quantum computers ion trap devices from ionq and systems built on superconducting qubits from rigetti or rigetti rigetti probably yeah so if that if if that meant something for me to, to you then then you know tuck in get in, get in go on 
Um, what do we have in, in a still cool? Um, SES, you can bulk import and bulk delete email address from account level suppression list. Yeah, great. Uh, you have an API now, you can do it. Before you couldn't do that, you have to do it email per email, which would have been a nightmare. So I'm glad they had that functionality. Um, and then, yeah, guys, we talk about it. Uh, SNS launch client library supporting message payload up to two gig. That was available in SQS for a while, and now they brought the same system to SNS. Yeah. Uh, you still store your file on S3 and you have a, an extended client library to be able to call that file and, and um, push it through your SNS uh, payload. So interesting. Yeah. And again, just like with SQS, that uh, client library is Java only. What? <laughs> yes, I know you like it. <laughs> I should just, they should put that in the announcement title. Java only announcement. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or we should just all become, we should all just accept reality and just become Java developers because otherwise we just miss out on all the cool things. We can't use Code Guru. You know, we can't do two gig buddy payloads in SNS. It's not fair. One one who is keep growing is the uh, Los Angeles um, zone. Uh, so AWS introduced a second local zone, which is interesting that they're building slowly the the region in there. It, yeah, I was thinking as well. Isn't doesn't that basically make it a region by now? Well, I guess yeah, with, but because they, they have dedicated metro fiber uh, with high throughput to connect them both, um, and so you can start kind of load balancing your environment between the two. Uh, you still depend on the Oregon region, though, to be able to enable that, that, that zone. And you have only EC2, VPC, EBS, FSX, uh, load balancing, EMR, and RDS. That's it. Um, so it's, it's not a full kind of environment yet. But, you know, what about we have one in Australia soon? That would be good. Instead of creating a second, second one in LA, can we have a one for us, please? We're just not important enough. Yeah. We don't, we don't have enough people, obviously. So that's two in, in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, similar to the local zone is the rollout of Wavelength. Speaking of low latency, so this is where they, they've got um, AWS... Uh, infrastructure in in the, the the telcos data centers at the edge of the network so this is a five for 5g so if you're if you're basically if you're building an app on 5g and you've got access to wavelength you can put some of your aws application infrastructure in in this um, wavelength environment and and get sort of single digit latency between your mobile app and your infrastructure over 5g and uh, presumably i guess it's all all of the qualities of 5g and throughput and so forth as well not just latency but i think latency is the main the main low low latency is the main kind of um draw card yeah and it's obviously mostly aimed at iot type compute requirements Mm. so It'll be interesting to see how that works out, even though it's probably going to be a very long time before we get it over here. Yeah. Yep. I think I think we can probably forget about it in our lifetimes, Ian. <laughs> oh, so you're, you, you are a bit younger than me. <laughs> you're much younger than me. But, you know, an old man of my vintage, um, yeah, I, I've given up hope. <laughs> All right. Is that it? Oh, no, there's one thing. The um, interactive video service. I thought this was an interesting announcement. Uh, well, it's probably not that interesting, but it's... Um, uh, I thought it was a... Uh, I thought it was... In, yeah, no, I did think it was an interesting announcement because it's um, it's for the Amazon interactive video service. They announced the service la- last month 
and now they're saying now they're giving you the control over who can watch your live stream so yeah so i guess i guess given that we're all in covid lockdown given that there's a lot of i guess services now that are only available to be streamed like online like if you think about musicians for instance they want to have a concert they want to be able to live stream it and have interactive like audience participation but they also want to be able to control who can who can actually see it so i guess i guess this is one of those things they're probably fast tracking i guess because there's a lot of demand for that stuff right now I, I mean, I'm not saying any of this is kind of new. I think I think the technology itself's been around for a while, but Amazon's obviously um, spending a bit of time and effort, you know, put, putting all the features together so that people can use it to to do those those sorts of things that they need to do now. So it's in three regions at the moment: US East, Virginia, US West, Oregon, and Europe, Ireland. And yeah, you can connect to the service just by using uh, open broadcast so- software like the OBS, which is a free. Free, free video um, um, management streaming software. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. Presenting these things, you know, every month we we often you know look look at the list of announcements, and sometimes we look at things and we go, "Hey, that's a that's that's is that really worthy of a whole page on a website?" It's such a tiny announcement, um, and we sort of think maybe AWS just needs to get their announcement count up this month, so they've they've you know made a made a, a post about this. So anyway, so we thought it might be fun every month to, to, to nominate a, some candidates for the, uh, the smallest announcement of the month. And we decided that, that a good name for that would be the Nano Award. So at the end of the year, we'll, 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 we'll uh, recount all the Nano candidates for the year and, uh, and we'll have a, a trophy, which will be so small you can't see it. And we'll post that in a in an envelope off to Jeff. Uh, so this this month, uh, what did you think, Ian? What was your your candidate for the Nano? Well, there were a couple of interesting ones, and we've mentioned them throughout as well. One that I think I'll mention is the holiday calendars, addition to forecast. Yes, on the one hand, it is a pretty massive thing to incorporate that data. On the other hand, it's something that should have been there from the start. Yeah, you can get access to holiday calendars everywhere if you have a gmail account it's included you can just say click here for your holiday calendars yeah if google has it amazon should have had it. <laughs> <laughs> um well i think the iot one which i'll 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 take is is the um audit finding suppression that was announced uh, which basically lets you turn like not see some things in the console that's that's really in a nutshell what it is and um yeah that doesn't really seem like it's worthy of a whole announcement all on its own what about you jm oh the maybe probably the connects ad support for early media and outbound phone calls um i found that you know not, not very interesting but that, uh, that's just me all right cool well we'll, we'll just have to everyone will have to tune in at the end of the year we'll maybe have a special a special episode for the nanos uh, we'll get some celebrities in to um, insult each other and uh, and drink too much and uh, and yeah award the award the nano tune in then. And that's it for this month. I'll start with thanking our sponsors as usual, our gold sponsor Enabler and our silver sponsors AC3, CMD Solutions, and Do It International. And of course, I want to thank you two, JM and Guy. Thank you for joining me again. Always a pleasure to discuss with you, Arch, and the news of the month, always. Thanks for having me. And I want to thank all of you for listening. So, And hopefully we'll see you again next month. Thank you all, and goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>